0: we're picking up here at, in Genesis chapters 1 2 and 3. We've been studying there for the last uh couple of months and today is our last study. And um I'm very grateful and appreciative last week uh Pastor Aaron uh stepped in when I was sick and and uh, on very short notice he took a rough bunch of notes that I sent him and he turned it into a uh, a great message. We noted a couple of weeks ago in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that there as God is pronouncing, He's in the midst of pronouncing the curses uh, because of the sin that has come about as Adam and Eve sinned and brought sin and judgment into the world, uh, God is speaking to the serpent and there in the midst of that God gives the Proto-Evangelium, the first little hint of the gospel, the good news that God is going to send someone as a redeemer to rescue man. And um, we noticed that a few weeks ago. And so from the earliest, man's earliest history, people with a heart for God have been looking for and longing for the Messiah, the, the the promised redeemer. I think that's implied in Eve's words when when their first child is born and uh, they name him Cain and and Eve's words are the Lord has blessed me with a man child and I think in her heart she's thinking this is the one this is the redeemer that was coming and it didn't work out that way if you know the rest of the story with Cain uh, he became the first murderer but you go down it's just a couple of pages away in the Bible. Uh, But it's a thousand years plus, uh, around a thousand years later, that uh, a guy named Lamech has a son. His son is Noah. We know that name. But when uh, Noah is born, uh, Lamech says this He says, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech had hope. He was hoping for the Redeemer. Surely this son is going to be the one who's the Redeemer. Well, God used Noah greatly. Uh, were it not for Noah and his sons and and God put them on the ark and the animals, none of us would be here. We would have been wiped out in the flood. But uh, He wasn't the promised Redeemer, the Messiah. People have been looking ever since. Finally, after millennia of waiting, Jesus came on the scene. Some 2,000 years ago, and in the days of Jesus and all the way up until our own time, there have been many others who have claimed to be the Messiah. But Jesus is different. Last week, Pastor Aaron took us from just scratching the surface of Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, starting with Genesis 3.15 and working His way through up to Jesus. We find in the Scriptures that they foretell the proper lineage, the proper ancestry of the Messiah. We find the Scriptures tell us the place of His birth in Bethlehem, tell us the manner of His birth. It tells us, even in Daniel chapter 9, it it tells us the time frame for the Messiah's arrival. It says there that it would be 69 sevens, 483 years after a decree to rebuild Jerusalem and restore it that the Messiah would come. Simple math puts you at around 30 A.D. and right as Jesus is presented as Messiah. And so Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, When the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, and that's why we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ. The Messiah arrived as promised and on time. Only Jesus fits the picture the prophets portrayed. He was so pointed and so particular, no one else ever could fit. Jesus is the Messiah or there is no Messiah at all. Jesus' birth, His life, His death, His miracles, His resurrection, uh, even the forerunner before Christ, John the Baptist, literally fulfilled hundreds of Old Testament prophecies. But there were so many more promises about what the Messiah would do, about who the Messiah would be, things that the Messiah would bring, words that were not altogether unfamiliar with. Ones that often are read or even sung around Christmas like these from Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born. To us the Son is given and the government will be upon His shoulders. And His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Many others, for example, these words from Micah, the prophet. Micah chapter 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains And it shall be lifted up above the hills, and the peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, and that we may walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so it is fair to ask the question, if Jesus is the Messiah, if the prophecies point to Jesus and we say He is the fulfillment of the prophecies of Messiah, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas, then why isn't Jesus sitting on David's throne in Jerusalem, as Isaiah said? Why is He not ruling over the nations from there, as Micah says? According to these prophets, not to mention others, Shouldn't we then also be living under Jesus in a world that is full of justice and righteousness? And where is this lasting peace on earth of which it says there shall be no end? That is a great question. John records a similar question that was asked on Palm Sunday or perhaps a day or two later. In John's account, he kind of pushes some of those days together. You can't really exactly tell when one stops and one ends, but it's either on Palm Sunday or a day or two later. He is talking to some folks and Jesus says this, It's just a few days before Jesus will, of course, die on the cross. And Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so the crowd answered him We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. So here comes the question How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? See, the crowd was confused. Either hours before, if this is Palm Sunday, or at the most a day or two before this, these folks had rejoiced and celebrated and welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem as he came in riding on a on the foal of a donkey. You recall it was Palm Sunday. And they celebrated Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They, they said, This is the Messiah. And now as Jesus talks, they've realized exactly what He's saying. Jesus is saying, I'm going to die. And that's why I came, was to die. And they understood when He said, the Son of Man must be lifted up, they knew He's talking about how He's going to die because now they say, wait a minute, we know the scriptures. The prophecies about the Messiah are that He's gonna set up a kingdom that's everlasting. He's gonna bring in justice and righteousness and peace forever. And we thought, you are the Messiah, but if you're the Messiah, how can you die? It's a logical question. The interesting thing is Jesus doesn't answer it. He leaves. The footnote is, as John goes on, is that because they really don't believe. He's done miracle after miracle, but they really don't believe He's the Messiah. Now Matthew records another conversation that John doesn't that happened right about this same time. It may have been the same day or the day before or the day after, but it was sometime after Sunday, where Jesus has gathered with just his disciples in a personal conversation, an intimate conversation over on the Mount of Olives. And we've often called this in church circles the Olivet Discourse in, over in Matthew and chapter 24. There, the disciples ask the question. When will these things happen? Because he's described how Jerusalem and the temple is going to be destroyed. And then they say, when are these things going to happen? And tell us, what will be the sign of your coming, in parentheses we would say as King, as Messiah, and of the end of the age? Jesus gives this long answer, but in there is this. Be the Messiah and still die. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah and I will come in power and glory. It's going to happen after a time of great tribulation and trouble. And it's going to happen when it does. The, the sun's going to go dim and the moon's not going to shine and the stars are going to fall from the sky. Revelation chapters 19 and 20 describe that event. When Jesus returns as Messiah King, and He comes and He sits on the throne of David in Jerusalem and He fulfills the promises and the prophecies that God made in the Old Testament of Messiah King. And He rules and reigns, chapter 20 of Revelation says, for a thousand years on the earth. you see, when Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, He had a different mission. Sickness, disease, pain, suffering, hatred, strife, murder, war, all these things that are messed up and wrong with this world today, these things we don't like, they're bad, and all of them are the consequences of sin in the world. All of them we saw are what came into this world back in chapter 3 of Genesis. What we also noted a couple of weeks ago when we were there is the biggest consequence of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Separation from God. When Jesus came, He came to deal with our biggest our greatest need and that is our need to be reconciled to be made right with God that was what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53 he was wounded for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his stripes we are healed All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's why Jesus came. We've all gone astray. We are all sinners. It has infected us all. And he was wounded. He was chastised. He was punished. He died paying the penalty of our sin. That's what he says. And so Jesus said of Himself, John chapter 3, right after John 3.16, He says in verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And that is the wonderful and good news of Christmas. We were helpless and hopeless and condemned, but God loved us so much, as verse 16 says before this, God loved us so much that He sent His one and only Son into the world so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus paid the penalty of our sin on the cross and anyone who believes in Him is rescued from that penalty, has forgiveness from sin and has a restored relationship with God. That's why Jesus came. That is the main storyline, by the way, of the Scripture. From chapter 3, when sin comes into the pages of Scripture, into the into humanity, when it infects and, and corrupts us all and puts us all under condemnation, the rest of the Scripture is how God has made a way through Jesus Christ for us to be made right with Him. Now that's the main focus of the story, but it's not all of the story there's more. And with that as the introduction, we're ready for the message. (laughs) Which fortunately is very short. You see, today as we wrap up our several month study of Genesis 1 through 3, what I desire to do is take us to the end of the story. While the main focus has been how God through Jesus has made a way for us to be reconciled to God. There is more. And we see it most especially laid out for us in the closing chapters of the book. The book ends. We see in Genesis 1 and 2 God creates a perfect world. In Genesis chapter 3 sin comes in and everything is turned upside down. And what's going to happen? And God promises a redeemer, one who will reconcile us to God, but more than that, He promises eventually, as we see through the pages of Scripture, He promises a restorer. And we see that in Revelation. And this morning, in this the next little bit of time, we're going to just fly through looking at Genesis one through three and looking over in Revelation chapters 19, 20, 21, and 22 and see parallels and we see how the great author of history as God has written the story of it all, he starts the 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 introduction in Genesis and we see the conclusion in Revelation and what we see is it's a beautiful picture. We can't look at it all, but I'm going to just quickly take us through a bunch. And you, If you want to open to somewhere, you'd be in Genesis chapters 1 through 3 and we'll just kind of try to mostly just stay chronological and step away through we'll break that once or twice and see some of the parallels and but I'm going to put it up on the screen and we'll start with Genesis and then I'll take us on the screen we can see Revelation. We notice just in the very opening verse of the Bible in the beginning God Genesis 1:1 we see in the into the Scripture, actually twice in the last couple of chapters of Revelation, we see this: "I am the Alpha, that's the beginning, and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end." The same God who wrote the introduction and the beginning and created everything in Genesis one one is the same God who brings it all to conclusion in Revelation twenty two. History is moving towards a point. There's a God who's the author and the finisher of it all. In Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And in and in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So a lot of folks trying to save planet earth can't be done. God's going to destroy it one day. doesn't mean we should trash it. It just means... This earth is headed for destruction. Peter tells us God's going to burn it up. He's got a brand new one. He's, he's going to show up. It shows up here in Revelation 21, verse 1. Chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 5, says God separated the light from the darkness. And it says He called the light day and the darkness He called night. We get over to Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. and In the new heavens and new earth, we discover something. It says that uh, there will night will be no more revelation 22 5 chapter 1 of Genesis verse 10 God separated the waters from the dry land he called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas we get over to chapter 21 of Revelation verse 1 it says and the sea was no more the new heavens the new earth are going to be similar but different things are going to change Chapter 1, verse 16, it says, God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, that's the sun, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And in chapter 22 of Revelation, verse 5, it says, And night will be no more, and they will need no light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. Chapter 2, verse 8, after God creates Adam and Eve, We read in verse 8 of chapter 2 that the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there He put man whom He had formed. God provided a garden paradise to be man's home. He not just created a lush earth, but He made a special home for man, a paradise. We get to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 2 and it says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. God has created a spectacular city paradise for man's home. You recall Jesus said, John chapter 14, where I am going to prepare a place for you. John 14, Prepare a place for you that where I am you may also be. But he also said, in there he said, in my Father's house there are many rooms. Some translations say mansions. Maybe they're mansions, maybe they're rooms, maybe they're condos. I don't really care. Maybe it's just a tent out back. That's good for me. As long as I'm there in this place, it's awesome. But it's not just that we're there. What we discover is, remember, there's a new heavens, and new earth, and this new city. People are going in and out in through the earth. I think we've got A place on earth somewhere. We've got a place in heaven. You know, a condo there and a place over there. Awesome. God has provided a spectacular home for us. Going back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, in the Garden of Eden it says that the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. It was this beautiful place of lush water and trees and the tree of life. But after sin comes into the picture, Genesis chapter 3, it says, God says, now lest he, man, reach out his hand and he takes also the tree of life and eat and live forever. God says it's a problem. A sinful man lives forever. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden. The text says that God put a guard there. He made it where it's impossible for man to ever get into the garden and into access to the tree of life. But we get to Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me here in this great city, home of ours, there's a the river of the water of life that is flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb and, and in the, through the middle of the, of, the, of the street of the city. And also on either side of the river, there it is again, the tree of life. He goes on to say in verse 2, that the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, we read, Therefore a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And We, we saw there the very first wedding, Adam and Eve. We come to the book of Revelation. We discover in chapter 19 the last wedding first wedding in Genesis 2. The last wedding in Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And the Lamb is Jesus Christ, by the way, who the Apostle Paul of 1 Corinthians 15 calls the last Adam. (laughs) We have the marriage of the first Adam in Genesis. The marriage of the last Adam in Revelation. And who is the bride? Says the bride says, His bride has made herself ready. And you go on and you look down just a little farther and we discover it's the saints. It's us. Which, by the way, isn't a surprise because Paul tells us that in the book of Ephesians where he's talking in Ephesians 5 about marriage. And he says, How, husbands, you're to love your wives as Christ loves the church. And he says, I tell you a great mystery, but I'm speaking of Christ and the church. Human marriage is to be a picture of the relationship between God and man between the bridegroom Jesus and His church. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we meet Satan. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Satan first appears in the form of a serpent and he is the deceiver of mankind. We come to the book of Revelation in chapter 20 and verse 2. And after Jesus comes back to earth in power and glory, Revelation chapter 19, Satan is seized and he is bound, that ancient serpent, it says, who is the devil and Satan. He is bound for a thousand years as Christ rules and reigns on the earth. And then, a few verses later, verse 10, says the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, there is no Satan on the page of Scripture. He's not in the story. He pops up in chapter 3. He is thrown to the lake of fire at the end of chapter 20. And he's not there in chapters 21 and 22 where we, it talks and focuses all about the glories of heaven and our eternal home. Satan is gone. Genesis chapter 3, sin came into the world and it corrupted and polluted and destroyed paradise. In the heavenly paradise, Revelation chapter 21, it says, verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, those whose names are there. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. Sin has come into the world and God speaks to Adam and He says, You are dust and to dust you shall return. As promised, if they ate of the tree, if they disobeyed, if they sinned, the result would be death. And death has come to everyone ever since. One out of one people die. The statistics are pretty grim. But we get to Revelation And it says there, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Revelation 21.4 Again, as God is speaking to Eve and He says, I will surely multiply your pain and sorrow in childbearing. And we get to Revelation 21.4 and it says, Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things are passed away. Pain and sorrow is gone. To Adam, he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. The whole earth was put under a curse. And we come to Revelation 22, verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed. Again, back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, the first thing that happened after Adam and Eve sinned, you'll recall as it says, the man and his wife, after they tried clothing themselves with fig leaves, it says the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord trying to hide out and blend into the trees. After sin came, fellowship with God was broken and sinful man could never be in the presence of God and live. But we get to Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, and it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. There's no more distance between us. There's fellowship. That fellowship with God is going to be be personal and intimate. It said, as we read a minute ago in verse 4, it says, He... Will wipe away every tear from their eye. That's personal. In chapter 22, verse 4, it says, they will see his face. Can you imagine that? Little old you, little old me, we're so unimportant. <laughs> not many of us have ever really met a celebrity. I doubt if any of us, or certainly not many of us, have ever had an invitation to a White House. Probably never will but we're going to see God face-to-face have personal communication, fellowship.
1: Isn't that amazing?
0: That's actually astounding, but it gets more amazing. Back in chapter 1, going back in Genesis to chapter 1, when God made Adam and Eve, it says that, The Lord God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth. God made us in His image to be rulers under Him over creation. He gave us dominion. We lost that in the fall. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. When Jesus comes back to earth, as He is in heaven getting ready, all of heaven erupts with the Hallelujah Chorus. Hallelujah! 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 You know the chorus. For the Lord God of omnipotent reign. Hallelujah! Why are they hallelujahing? Because God as man, Jesus Christ, both God and man, is coming back to earth to take the throne of earth. Now God made us in His image. Now God took the image of man. He became man. And now God as man is coming back to earth to take the the dominion, the rule that we lost because of sin. And Jesus takes the throne. That's awesome. But it gets better. That's not all. Because it goes on to say in Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, it says, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. That's in the city in heaven. And His servants will worship Him. And then down in verse 5, this little statement, they will reign forever and ever. And it's speaking of the servants. It's speaking of us. You see, because when Jesus became one of us and He rescued us, He redeemed us out of sin, He gave us, as we read earlier from John 1, do you remember in the Scripture reading? as many as believed on Him, He gave right to become children of God. We've been adopted as God's children. And the Scripture goes on to say that with now that we have been adopted by God, we became heirs with Jesus Christ. And as heirs with Christ, He goes on to say, the Scripture goes on to tell us that we will rule, we will reign with Him. And that's what it's saying here. Jesus sits on the throne as God-man, and under him we rule and reign with him forevermore. So do you see? the, The end of God's story, the end of his story, history, takes us right back to where we started. Revelation 21 and 22 takes us back to the beginning where God said everything was very good. Perfect people in a perfect creation, ruling and reigning, enjoying fellowship with God. It's everything that was there in Genesis 1 and 2, and may I say, even better, with upgrades. It's Paradise (laughs) 2.0. The final version. In the middle between that, between Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 and Revelation 19 to 22, in the middle is the story of amazing grace, of a God with astounding grace for undeserving humans. Such love for rebellious, sinful, fallen people. God loved the world so much, He gave His one and only Son. So that instead of living in Genesis chapter 3 and 4 and 5, we end up in Revelation 21 and 22. That is going to continue to amaze us for the rest of eternity. And it's going to continue to drive us forever and ever to love and worship God even as we enjoy the wonders of heaven. Three quick takeaways as we wrap it up and head off into the snowy jungle. (laughs) First is this. The difference between those who get into heaven and enjoy all of that and in Revelation 21 and 22, the difference between those and those who face God's judgment and hell. We read the difference when he says, nothing impure will ever enter there, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, I tell you what, I want to be one of those who's there in heaven and not there in God's judgment. How do you get your name written in the Lamb's book of life? again, it's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him, when we believe in Jesus Christ, our name is written in the book. That's what Scripture tells us. Why hasn't Jesus returned yet is a fair question. If we're waiting for His return and the world is such a mess now, why hasn't He already come? is a wonderful answer by the way the first takeaway is trust Jesus as your Savior and I'd say do it today because here's the answer to the question why hasn't he come second Peter Peter writes the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise like some people count slowness some understand slowness he says but he's patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. The only reason Jesus hasn't come back yet is because God is giving one more day for more people to trust in Jesus and go to heaven instead of face judgment. That's it. But the Bible tells us there is a day coming when Jesus is coming back and it will be too late at that point And so the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait for tomorrow, for a tomorrow that may never come. So we're here this morning, you have yet to trust Jesus as your Savior. You came out on the most difficult day you could ever come to church. But maybe you needed to hear that message today. Trust Jesus as your Savior. It's not about being rich. It's not about doing doing good deeds. It's about trusting Jesus. Second thing, second takeaway, the world around us often seems to be careening out of control. If you ever watch the news, you feel that way. I can't watch the news without getting depressed because it's a mess out there, and I'm not just talking the weather, but that's a mess too. But what this tells us when we look at the bookends is that everything in this world is going according to plan. God has a plan, and everything is going to happen at the right time, exactly as He has planned. There's much we may not understand. There must be even much we may not even like in this life. But one thing we can know is that we can rest and trust in a loving God who has promised that He's working everything for our good. And we can have peace in a messed up world. After all, he says, if he doesn't hold back his own son, what else good will he hold back from us? Nothing. Lastly, this. We need to live with an eternal perspective. Because this world will pass away, because as believers in Christ we have an eternal future in heaven, it should change everything about how we think and how we live, how we act. Jesus called for us to live heavenly minded. He says, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and where thieves don't break in and steal. If we really believe this, it should change everything. Literally everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us so incredibly much that You sent Your own Son to die in our place. Why You would do that, none of us will ever understand. David said in Psalm 8, what is man that You are mindful of him? He didn't get it. We don't get it now. And I think we're going to spend the rest of eternity trying to figure that out. Why we won't understand it, we, mar- we rejoice in it. And we say thank you. You loved us so much. Not only did you rescue us from what we the punishment we deserve, but you've you care for us now. And you give lives now that are meaningful, that have purpose, and you've provided for us a destiny far greater than anything we can ever imagine. And so we say thank you. And may we never be the same in what we value, in what we hold as priority, in what we think, in what we do, and in what we live for. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.